but this morning I want to <clears throat> uh, address a, a subject that I think that uh, I think God is looking for some messengers and uh, uh, messengers that are just not you know uh, uh, that has to do with those that stand on the pulpit. No. But that uh, that we can all be messengers, and we are to be messengers wherever we're at, wherever we have been planted, whatever the marketplace is that God has placed us, we're we're messengers. And there's a message, of course, that the original messenger brought to us that he wants us to carry on. Because uh, uh, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so, you know, our role in life is, you know, by and large, uh, you know, uh, divided up among us all, all right, uh, is to be messengers of hope and life and blessing. And uh, uh, blessings or messengers of, of hope. And I want to uh, use as a backdrop this morning, a familiar passages of scripture in Ezekiel 37, which you're familiar with in the Valley of Bones. And uh, uh, I believe that this uh, passage of scripture has something for everybody. I do believe that it was written in, uh, specifically to the captivities of the children of Israel in Babylon and uh, but I don't think it's exclusive to them, as I believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished. So there is the application of it for, I think, for everyone. I think it has application to the church as a general and whole, and I think that it can be also applied to individual lives uh, this morning. And so... Um, uh, you know, whatever your, your perspective might be on it, uh, I think that what, as Scott said, we, you know, we want to make it a moment. And not just something yesterday or something in the future, but something that's today. And so, Father, thank you for your written word. And now we ask you for your delivered spoken word through this vessel and into our lives. And... Uh, for that we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Give me some passages of scripture there, Andy. Uh, a prophetic word that God gave, you know, to the children of Israel. And there has been, you know, quite a lapse of time that uh, uh, has taken place uh, between the promise and the fulfillment. And how many know that's, you know, you got to get used to that. <laughs> You got to get used to it because that's the way it is. There's the, there's the there's the promise, you know what I mean, and then there's the time in between. But here he was. He says, you know what I mean. He says that, you know, uh, uh, basically he is saying, in spite of your condition or your crisis, in spite of the situation, there's a divine movement that's going to take place. And he said, now we'll give you a new heart and I'll put in a new spirit within you. So there's something wrong with the old. But you notice that he's not going to focus, you know what I mean, so much on the old. He's going to focus on the new. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know, of course, that is a, a, a heart or a heart that's responsive and pliable and, and workable. All right. The next one. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite scriptures right here is uh, Romans chapter fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope, He is a God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. <clears throat> Notice that there are you know these uh, this aspect of hope that needs to accompany and develop in the process of being filled with all hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound. That you may be over the top. 
in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or the source of this, of course, is the Holy, the Holy Spirit. So God is really interested in your hope this morning. And I'm interested in your hope. Uh, did we have another one? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Isaiah 60. Rise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Basically, you know what I mean? He's saying, you don't have to wait. It's already here. It's already here. So this morning, I want to talk to you about bones of hope. In Ezekiel 37, he looks and sees a valley. Now, the word valley, in many aspects, can mean time frame. It can mean the condition of something, the condition of humanity. Like, for instance, uh, before and apart from Jesus Christ. It can have reference to trial and trouble. But it also can be peace and plenty. The word valley. In this particular case... It is trouble and trial. Trouble and trial. So, uh, <clears throat> and Ezekiel gets a vision. And the barriers between heaven and earth are supernaturally parted. And he begins to, you know, see into the future and the development and the working of God's plan with a relationship to the promise of God. Kind of like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I have not seen and ear have not heard, and neither have it into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him, for them. All right? There's a veil. But then he says, there's something that happens in the spirit, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. That veil between the heavenly, you know, and the earthly, the natural, and the spiritual was taken away, and Ezekiel was allowed to look in to that. And as we walk through some of the scenarios of this this morning, I want you to understand that you can see the purpose and the work of the gospel. It is not just a historical you know, event uh, that was to happen, it may have, in some aspects, already happened, but it has a, a great emphasis of what the gospel is all about. But then this vision that he saw, he sees difficulty, hopelessness, despair, the loss of vision, spiritual blindness. I mean, there's... Endless terms that can be used with regard to that. He saw death. He saw devastation, defeat. He saw the dead. He saw the dryness of it. And he saw that they were divided. Now, all of those words are relative and can give you some insight on it. Because what you'll discover in the process of, of revival and restoration... And particularly in relationship to this, and I think it is a, uh, carries out about everything, that, that in revival is not just something moving across us, but there is a reassembly. Write that word down just in your memory. There's a reassembly. When you look at Ezekiel 37, there is a reassembly that takes place. And... Uh, so these are a people who are living. They actually are living and they actually have a voice. They, they said that when they spoke, they said, our bones are dry. How many know that <clears throat> the correlation then is there's got to be some kind of communicative ability in this. Our hope is lost and, and we're cut off. And so he saw this death, devastation, defeat, dead and dry and divided. He saw this humanity, this valley of humanity that was in desolation. 
It was in dry ruin with the, uh, with the chronic leprosy of death. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean that, that this death and this leprosy, you know, didn't happen to everybody at once. That's what leprosy does. It, you know, makes its way across the seas of humanity. They did not all come to this death of by leprosy at one time. He sees a the stages of life that would in the stages of death rather that would take place. Death had literally settled down into its possession. It had a major stronghold. It was a common thing. It was death that was privileged. Death that was enthroned and death that was secure. When he looked and he saw those people defeated, destroyed, dismembered. And they were crumbling into paganism. A people that had reached a place where they were not hoping or wishing for revival. He looked and he saw the facts of powerlessness. And then he also understood that whenever you have a corpse and it reaches this stage and it has not buried, it represents that they're under a curse. Because the Bible says that if there's not a proper burial, then it's indicative that there's a curse on you. And so he understands all this, and you know, it, which, which, you know, no doubt, without a doubt, moved his heart. And so as we apply it, he saw people so defeated, so discouraged and down, they lost passion. Passion for God, the things of God. Inspiration for God and the promises of God. That's not you, of course, but that's how the world was. That's what God saw. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sees the people who that, through the compromise of God's word, had cut themselves off from the favor of God. Now, if you, if you understand, you know, uh, some of the dynamics of it, they cut themselves off from the favor of God. In the first judgment that hit this earth under, in Noah's time, Bible says that, you know, they got cut off, but there was someone that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You and I are some of those people that found grace in the eyes of the Lord and were not cut off. And because of that, we're to be messengers. Their perspective on life and, you know, uh, from their personal situation was that their, their hope was gone. They didn't have any future. We are cut off. It may be happening to others, but it's not happening to us. They felt the effects of it, but somehow were powerless to do anything about it. I believe that this represents that no matter what seems the condition of the bones in your life, the structures, you know, that are necessary for the total you and the total of life. May be hopeless from your perspective, but they are not hopeless from God's perspective. And that God wants to turn your boneyards into glory gardens. I believe that. And so, this revival of reassembly 
It says that he sought and then as he responded to the word of the Lord that a reassembly began to take place. Bones began to be connected to bone. Not just, you know, any bone to a bone, but bones to their proper places. A reassembly. And so it, it, it moved on. And so here's the important thing. In this hope is that God has a part. And that is, it is the strength of the sender and not the strength of the one that is sent. That should encourage our hearts. Amen? This people defeated in life's battle. This revival, he says, is not just going to engage life, but it's going to resurrect them back to the life of destroying the enemies of life. That's what Jesus came to do. That's the message that we have been given. Because remember, it says that they not only went through the process of reassembly and into life, but they became a great army. They became warriors. In other words, he's saying God put the fight back in them. He put the fight back in them. And so in this process of reassembly and revival, it's not just to get us, you know, looking good. And so we have some identity. And, and so there is, uh, you know, a, a correlation of function. But the dynamics of why he does it all is to put the fight back in us. Hallelujah. Resting in the strength of the sender and not the strength of the one that is sent. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so God's part is to be that key element. Ezekiel's part. The role that we play in this message and being messengers. Number one, he saw the problem. He saw the problem. And he was reverent toward the problem. It's a neat thing about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit makes us have respect toward those whose hope and joy is gone. He recognizes, you know, a sensitivity, puts a sensitivity in us that, you know, when people are down, they don't just need to be told that they're down. If people are missing something, they don't just need to be told that they're missing something. They need to be enlightened. There's more, there's something. The story of the prodigal son, who in a similar situation, We know he was dead because that's what the father said. This, my son, was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So the dire situation in life. So we need to understand that God has a part, and you and I have a part. We're messengers. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me this week, I think it was about Thursday, you know, he said, I need some people that will bless. That will become blessers. So that Jesus came to bless us. It was customary for the patriarchs that when they would gather their family together that they would go ahead and begin to pronounce 
blessing and speak blessing. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. How many know that's blessing? <coughs> Jesus took the, the children and when they sat upon his lap and he went ahead and he blessed them. Moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas. God has given you fields. God has given you offsprings. God has given you marketplaces. God has set you down in the midst sometimes of some valleys. Every valley is not alike, but the objective of primarily of every valley is get it into a dry state. And a new voice needs to come into valleys. Whether it's in your valley or someone else's valley. And I think that as we're connected to the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? God will begin to set us in those places. How do we bring and change boneyards to you know, to a garden, a glory garden. I believe, number one, we do what Ezekiel did. He proceeded, he proceeded with a divine expectancy. Have faith in God. All things are possible. Only Believe. Everybody maybe have given up hope, but God needs somebody that hasn't given up hope. You may be an insider or you may be an outsider. It doesn't make any difference. Someone that hasn't given up hope. Someone that can see the promise of the future. God says, I'm going to pour out. I'm going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. And so with expectancy, he proceeded with expectancy. Verses four through six. He brought a message with distinct urgency. Sometimes it is a crisis. And the crisis demands some urgency. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones. And then he prayed with divine fervency. Begin to call upon the breath of God and the spirit of God to breathe upon them that they might live. I read this week a pastor from the 1800s. They did not give his name. But here's what he said. He said, our eyes are dry because our hearts are dry. Blame him for that, not me. He moved with divine expectancy. He preached with this distinct urgency and he prayed with divine fervency. He was seeking a transformational miracle. He says that they might live. To revitalize. I don't know what you're looking at in the various gardens that may be around. But in this revival, it's important to remember the word reassemble. Reassemble. Frequently we do not recognize something until it's finally, you know, almost as a completed state. 
But according to the passage of scriptures here, you know what I mean? There's indicators along the way. And so it says in verse 7, you know what I mean, that they began to shake. That's conviction. Conviction began to take place. And it says they began to be connected, and so there is a reassembly of connection. But then the next phase of it was corpses. In other words, it's pretty much all established. It's missing the life of God. There's a great resemblance to everything, but missing the life of God. It was missing the breath of God, the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's power. I don't know what stage your dry bones might be in. You know, what might be the place in which the, the valley that is happening, you know, and the point it may be at. But look close. There's probably more happening than what you think. Because it was by the Spirit that Ezekiel, you know, was able to see more clear than just the practical and the natural. It was carried in the, in the Spirit. Remember John the Revelator? That's what happened to him. All of a sudden, the sight, you know, began to increase. He says, I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he carried me. Then he begins to write this fabulous, fantastic book. He begins to see into the, to the future. And so these, these corpses, but yet there was an emptiness. Because now... In this whole process, there was still a great need for a divine agency. That which only he could do. You take and put together all of our greatest abilities and, you know, everything that we can do, it's still ineffective when it comes to bringing life to men. takes the spirit of God. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We, we, we must have, and, and God has made available to us a, that special operation, a special operation of his spirit, that force of his spirit. Then all of a sudden, you know, really begins to take place. The recipe for revival, the recipe for your and my valleys, you've got to believe in the word, the authority of the word. You've got to believe in the the living spirit of the almighty God, which we do. That life that gives new life. That that spirit that not only reassembles things, but after it's been reassembled, then it makes it functional and operational and purposeful. They stood up and become a great army. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and everything that was against life. So we have the authority of God's word, we have the breath of God, and then we have the coming together of God's people. In other words, the ties that bind 
Jesus said, there needs to be a unity among my people, a oneness among them. There needs to be not just a connection, but there needs to be a bond. Coming together, I think everybody that has received the pardon of God through Jesus Christ, everyone that has received the promise of God through Jesus Christ, and everyone that has, you know, discovered the purpose of God through Jesus Christ, we need to come together. And that's the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is to come into valleys. Come in where death has went ahead, you know, and settled as the ruler and the king. Where death has went ahead and See, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So what's that mean? That he, death has all kinds of cohorts that work with him. They too have to be destroyed. Now the resurrection, God is going to finalize it. But up until then, there are things that destroy Lives. That's the purpose of the gospel. Why should you and I get along? First of all, let me back up. Because we've all been pardoned. Because we have the same promise and because we have the same purpose. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have loved one to another. Well, we all have individual families of which we relate to and identify on a, you know, weekly basis, etc. Celebrate with that type of thing. And yet, we're all one family under one blood with Jesus Christ. Would I be going too far and would you throw me out if it says... I'm talking about believers now. If you, I don't care if you're a Lutheran, if you're Baptist, if you're Pentecostal, you know, if you're Catholic, if you're, uh, I can't even think of all of them. You know what I mean? I don't want to leave anybody out because then I'll really be in trouble. <laughs> Those are just gathering points. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. That is the identifying, you know, uniting place is at the cross. I'm not exactly sure what the Lord is, you know, the total of this, but I'll bring it. Jesus, he's talking to his disciples and he's preparing them for something bigger than what they were used to. And he said, other sheep have I that are not of this fold. What's he saying? Well, obviously the fold that he's referencing to would be the Jews. Because that's what, who the disciples were about was that to the first, to the house of Israel. He says, I want you to get your, I want to get you ready for something, guys. There's others that are coming. There's others that are coming. They're not just like you. But they're my sheep. They're my sheep. It was Paul that wrote this. He says, you need to remember that you too at one time were dead in sins and trespasses. 
Huh. Paul says, when you start dealing with the dead, you want to remember that's what you were once like too. And they can give you compassion and can give you, you know, uh, mercy. Can give you a different perspective. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. Oh, church. They're lost, they're dry, they're heathen. You know what I mean? They're not interested in revival. They don't care about Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? There's a power and authority in their lives that only the resurrection power and the faith of Jesus Christ that can break. And he says, I want you to be my messengers. He said, I want you to go into those valleys. Those people that I set you down in. And he's going to begin to prophesy. I need you to have believe for expectancy. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. To create a people in his image. To deliver his people from evil. Yeah. Not only in the Lord's Prayer does it tell us that in John chapter 7 verse 5. And Jesus is there in his prayer. This is what it says. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. It's a process. It's a lifelong thing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Ezekiel chapter 37 is a people who had been delivered from evil but fell back into evil. They had once, do you know what I mean, embraced the promises, believed the promises, you know, and were pursuing the promises and somehow, you know what I mean, in life began to turn into valleys of death rather than valley of peace and valleys of, of plenty. Yes. Ask my musicians to come this morning. Just as Jesus received a divine assignment, we've received a divine assignment. Just as Jesus went ahead and observed, and also Ezekiel, he made a divine assessment. We must make a divine assessment. I say if 68 once is a rise, shine because your light has come. The glory of the Lord is, is risen, risen upon you. There is still life in those bones. There's still life in those bones. It looks hopeless. There is no evidence of it. But when God looks at it, There's life in those bones.
Don't be taken back by the appearance of death. Be encouraged by the promise of life. Can these bones live? Well, he wasn't too confident in himself, but he said, Lord, guess what? You know. You know. God has given us all gardens. In Genesis, when God created man, he set man in a garden. And that garden would be tilled and cared for. And we know the story there and how they violated, you know, the principles of the garden and the God of the garden. And so they were kicked out of the garden. But when Jesus Christ comes, you know what I mean? He comes to set us back in our garden. He wants to renew our garden, beautify our garden. Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He says, wherever your marketplace is, you've got to make your light shine. What can you do to improve the light where you're at? Are people actually seeing your light? Let your light so shine. So there's variables and elements in the shining of our light. And so we have to go ahead and discover. How can my light shine better? They may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. The object is not that you're such a good Christian, but that he's such a good God. Somebody give the Lord yeah. praise. Amen. Hallelujah. He's such a good God. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Mom and dad, grandparents, friends, somebody in your life maybe is just is away from God. <coughs> Jesus is the great intercessor, but he encourages us to begin to intercede. When Abraham looked and began to see what was going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't just go ahead and head out and said, well, I guess it is what it is. No, he said, God, let's talk about this a little bit. Isn't there, isn't there some, something we can do? It's possible that there's an equation that you might reach with God. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say he's not a bargaining God. Don't tell me he's not a bargaining God. Come let us reason together. Don't just accept the writing on the wall. And he began to intercede for Solomon Gomorrah. Now, he didn't save everybody, but let me tell you what, he got somebody. And it's generally those that are closest to you become the major benefactors of you being the voice 
in their garden where death and all its companions has taken them. Hallelujah. God's word and spirit can bring life to any situation, to any soul, no matter how utterly dead and hopeless it might appear. God's word. What may appear hopeless and dead to you and me is filled full of possibilities for the Lord or with the Lord. Full of possibilities. There's a story of Aaron and Aaron's rod. It's a dry stick. Just a dry stick. And it is put in the presence of God. So they took this, the rod, that stick, that dry stick, and they put it in the ark. And one night in the presence of God, and that stick, you know, blossomed, became fruitful, changed, all because of the presence of God. Hallelujah. If you can just start to get them into God's presence. Now, you say, well, I got to get them to church. Well, that's a wonderful thing. Corporate presence is wonderful. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I tell you what, church. Hallelujah. God has designed you and I in such a fashion, such a way that we walk into situations that we are bearers, you know what I mean? And there is the living presence, there is the mighty power, you know what I mean, of the almighty God that, that he has put in you and I to walk into those situations and to speak. There's hope in those bones. There's hope in those bones. Let me close this out this morning. I don't know at what stage there it is in what you've been praying for and believing God for in the reassembly. In the reassembly. In the process of reassembly, it doesn't look like much. You can't really identify it. You can't see life. There's not a whole lot of evidence. But when the Spirit is working and the Spirit is moving, speak to your dry bones and in the stages of it. Last but not least, God is saying, don't wait any longer. Isaiah 60. Arise, shine. For the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's not to come. It already is. It already is. Father, this morning, you are an unstoppable God and you are the special operation force that's working in the garden of dead and dry bones changing it God from a garden of boneyards to garden of gloryards 
Father, I want to speak a word into each one's life with regard to dire situations. By your Holy Spirit, I'm asking that there would be a fresh wind of God that would come and blow. That there would be a conviction that sets in. That there would be connections that begin to take place. There would be evidences of growth and that there would be life that would take place Father we pray that this morning for every family every vision God let life where there is no life let it come Put in our mouth words of life and hope and proclamation. Help us not to accept the valleys of bones, but help us to lay hold upon the valley, God, that turns into a mighty army in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a praise today. Don't let your salvation be something that was just a memory. Amen. God bless you. Go with God and he'll go with you.